What's poppin' fam? Welcome to Don't Touch My Mindset, a podcast that is designed to uplift, inspire, and motivate you, and most importantly, share tools to help you protect that mindset. Just living your best life. Hello, I am your host, Jay Chase, and I am thrilled to be here. Like I said, I'm amped, I'm pumped. Yo, we got another pivotal moment. But first and foremost, follow the show, subscribe, and rate, review. And if anything resonates from this episode, share it with a friend. You never know what they might need to hear. So um, I encourage you to, yo, October 2nd. Don't Touch My Mindset is presenting the Break the Cycle Workshop. We are focused on managing destructive emotions and habits to live a full and effective life. Yo, super excited. We're bringing you a whole new redesign, uh, reinvented, um, just strategic, um, beautifully put together workshop that's live and in person. But all that aside, um, go check out the website, thejchase.com forward slash event or at don't touch my mindset um dot com uh follow us on instagram at dj chase or at don't touch my mindset but for today's episode we got a very 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 special guest uh miss jill she is a podcast host um a speaker a coach, uh, I mean, she's doing a biochemist, doing so many amazing things in the world. Um, just a good, genuine conversation with her. I think you'll love it. She's out from the East Coast. Um, if you haven't, please connect with her. Links are in the show notes. Um, yeah, so I love you guys. Let's dive. excited because i have a super special guest here um the amazing woman that sat down and told me that you're gonna have to suck before you're good and to keep going and to you know tweak a little bit of this and tweak a little bit of that on the podcast i'm here with my inspirator jill how are you please introduce yourself tell us how you're doing what's up girl yeah, so I'm Jill. Um, I am almost two and a half years sober. I host a podcast about sobriety uh, called Sober Powered. And I am also a biochemist in the Boston area. Yeah, I love everything that you're doing from YouTube to the podcast to, I mean, just everything that you have going on. Such conscious creation and it's absolutely beautiful to witness so thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you for that yes yes absolutely you are seen heard felt it's just it's absolutely amazing um first question i ask all the guests if you take away the titles the trials the tribulations the successes everything who are you and why are you here a good question 
I was actually thinking about this earlier today. I think I am someone who has had a lot of struggles um, emotionally, mentally, career-wise, and I've had a lot of years of my life, like 29 straight, that were very unpleasant and very unhappy. And I think now, two years later, I'm starting to feel happy and, and like go after things that I care about and feel fulfilled. And I think I'm here to help other people like get unstuck. Like so many people are unhappy and they want to change but like they don't know what to do or they're kind of motivated but then that goes away and i think i'm here to say like look at all of this freaking crap that i had in my life like this is a lot that was there and now look what you can have and it doesn't matter how much horrible stuff you have going on that you can always work at it even if it seems overwhelming or hopeless or depressing or anything. I think that's why. I think all of all of those 29 years of hardship have been harnessed <laughs> into something good. A plus. Wow. That is absolutely beautiful. Um, defined, chiseled down to, to moving in purpose. And that's something that is beautiful to witness. Um, wow. What? I mean, that, that leads me to the interview. That leads me to, to the reason why you're here today with me. Um, your pivotal moment, what, what, or a pivotal moment, the pivotal moment, multiple pivotal moments, it doesn't matter. But kind of walk, walk me through that journey of what got you to this point, to who you are now. What, what was that turning point or that pivotal moment for you? Yeah, so that moment was, I, I'll say two, but they're basically the same. Um, when I started feeling really suicidal from my drinking and I got really scared and I thought that I would take some time off and do, you know, healthy reset, like just have a really high tolerance. That's all, you know, I'm just have a bad habit of drinking every day. It's just a bad habit. And I thought I was a suicidal person. And I was an anxious person and I was a loser. And I thought all these things were true about me until I took that break. And then I saw all the things that I didn't like about myself, all the mental health things that were getting really bad were gone or were a lot better. And I remember when I was around like 50 to 60 days of that break, I was like, wow, that was alcohol because I haven't been suicidal for this whole time. I haven't had middle of the night anxiety this whole time. And then, you know, I drank again on day 91 because I was cured. I'm not like other people. I don't know if you know that, Jay. I'm not like everybody else. Um, so I drank again because I was cured. I could surely handle it this time. And um it wasn't different <laughs> it was different in the beginning but then it went back to normal and then the suicidal thoughts came back all that came back and i realized like alcohol equals being suicidal 
and this is drinking this is not you and then that allowed me to stop so it was like seeing that nothing ever changes is is my pivotal moment and that led me to acceptance wow um damn and that led me to accept There's so much there that I just want to touch on, but one, I want to honor you for that. Thank you for coming with the raw and the real, just out the gates when you, thank you. Thank you for showing up. <laughs> Yo, you, um, you're, you're a real one. And that's what I love about you. Um, <clears throat> day 91, you go, you go back to drinking, you realize that it's alcohol and what did you say before it led you to acceptance? Yeah, so seeing that in the beginning, it was different. In the beginning, I had not that first day. That first day I got drunk, but that, you know, that wasn't my fault. <laughs> that was a lot of other people's fault. Um, but then after that, it was different and I did moderate and I did have two drinks a week. Like, what? That's like extreme moderation. But then, um, when I went on vacation for the first time, right back to it. And I realized like that drinking every day, hating myself, being suicidal, anxious, whatever, that's my normal drinking. I kept trying to pursue like, why can't I just be normal? Why can't I just drink normally? But that was my normal. I was just drinking normally for me. And I eventually accepted, like, this is how you drink. This is what happens when you consume alcohol. There's not this, like, magical moderation thing that you're chasing. Like, that doesn't exist for you. You just can't do it. And I know a lot of people don't like I can't drink. I love it. It removes my choice. I just can't do it. It's not that I don't want to do it or I choose not to do it, whatever. Um, I just can't like, and that's what I accepted on the day I stopped. I just can't do it. I can't do it the way I wish I could. I can't do it in a way anyone would want to drink and that's it. Can't do it. Can't do it ever again. Yo, I, I love that you bring that into, into, into the equation. The, I can't because it's, it, it takes a choice away, but it's the choice being made and standing on that is that, that, that choice is no. You know, and it is, it's its the exact same for me. You hear me say it all the time. Uh, Jay, you ever going to drink again? If you want me to set this place on fire, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's make her happen right now. If you want this whole place to burn down. So I, I've come, I've come to that acceptance that I can't either. And I love hearing that from somebody else. Um, so let me ask you, I, I say um too much. I'm trying to work on that. <laughs> I do too. It's very hard. <laughs> it's very hard. Let me ask you once after the acceptance of that you can't drink anymore, is that the driving factor that keeps you away from alcohol? It's just as simple, I can't do it. Yeah, I can't do it. And I recognize exactly the truth of it. I'm not misleading myself. I'm not looking at potential or what I hope it would be someday. I just know that's how I drink that's it sorry you can't do it um so it removes this like maybe it's been long enough you've learned so much you'll never you know 
let alcohol control your life anymore and like all of those silly things but then no i just can't i can't do it can't do it ever and i don't have to play these games with myself anymore or have this like internal conversation about whether or not i might be able to or like someday or some special occasion i just can't ever no matter what that is a beautiful acceptance that i think not a lot of people can grasp because it's a radical acceptance it eliminates a different option and nobody wants to eliminate options you know nobody wants to be backed into this singularity focus of i can't you know or i don't want to or i will not i will not let this pain destroy me as it has been um which brings me into my favorite conversation navigating boundaries of moving forward you know with people coming into your life now as i believe that we're always pivoting i think that we need to create and maintain relationships um how do you navigate those boundaries when creating a new relationship boundaries are hard and i never knew what they were before <laughs> i never knew how to set them um i couldn't figure out why no one would respect them they should just like assume what my boundaries are you know they should just know um so i had a lot of trouble with it and i still have trouble with it today but i think what i try to remind myself of is like people don't care as much as i think like i i hate asking people for help um or like the idea that i'm letting someone down and i keep reminding myself like no one is going home and thinking about how you did this minor thing at work that maybe let them down like you're the only one thinking about that so i try to set boundaries with you know not excessively apologizing to people or not like doing things to try to get people to like me i think a lot of people pleasers will do things to try to get validation from others that they're likable or they're okay so it's, it's a lot of boundaries with myself too and refusing to do this behavior that i don't want to do but for other people i think accepting who they are has helped me a lot too like we you might have an annoying family member and you just wish they would stop doing this one thing they always do but eventually you got to accept that's just who they are like you can't make them change because you're annoyed with them they have to either want to change the behavior or not care so if you can accept who they are then you decide do i want this person in my life or not and if the behavior isn't that bad if they just like make annoying comments or something when they see you or they like i'll have some family that asks me every time you sure you don't want to drink you sure and it's no yeah i'm sure i'm good thanks i'm good and you just got to I don't know, leave it at that and recognizing who they are and stop trying to force people to change has helped me too cuz I used to always try to force people to be like me cuz I'm so wonderful. Shouldn't they be exactly like me? So I think accepting them too has helped. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's where I went. <laughs> and that's and that's what needed to be said. And let's we can leave it at that. because that it, it's all true it's all true 
I think boundaries come down to this like deep capacity of knowing yourself, knowing where you can and cannot go with or without someone. Doesn't matter whether it's your loved one, partner, um, family member, friend, best friend, cousin, anything. You know, husband, wife. It's it's those boundaries that you have to create, trust, stand on. And I think that's the hardest part, standing on. You know, when I first got into sobriety, um, I could create boundaries. I was aware of where I needed them. I was aware of where I needed to place them, and with with certain people, certain situations. But trusting them and standing on them was the hardest part for me. But that that that's that's what you brought up for me, and um, I lo- I love that we went there. When it comes when it comes to navigating boundaries, it it leads me to how do you operate now when moving forward and setting goals, setting up situations when it comes to collaborations and partnerships and business and things like that? Because you know, as as you are very successful, conscious creator, uh, biochemist, as you said, you know, how do you how do you navigate your boundaries with with your time and energy? Time and energy is hard um, because I want to do so much and you can get sucked into doing stuff all the time. And when I stopped drinking, I had sobriety obsession, which I think is obvious if you look at all of the stuff that I do. But I just wanted to do sober stuff all the time, 24-7. And eventually the longer you stay sober like that starts to fade a little bit i still am very passionate about sobriety but i don't have this burning obsession for it anymore i'm still obsessed with it a little bit but before it was like all i wanted to do i gave up all my hobbies i stopped like hanging out with other people i just wanted to do sober stuff and help people and give my energy away and as i've been sober longer i want some of that for myself so i have to decide like i'm not going to respond to messages after this time or i'm gonna put my phone down and not look at it or um something blair helps me with a lot is like i say yes to too many things like people ask me to come on their show or they'll want to do a live together or things like that and I am always just like yes of course like when do you want to do it and then I end up with like 4,000 commitments a week and then I talk to Blair I'm like Blair I have three one-hour commitments today like why do I always do this to myself so learning like to set limits like either the amount of days that I can commit to things or you know how many per day but it's really hard to say no when it's something that you do want to do and it's something that you know is good and will help people, it's hard to know like that limit with your own mental energy. And sometimes I need to just disappear and play video games for an entire day and not look at my phone at all. And then I'm recovered, then I can go back to all my other stuff. Right, you know, it's not avoidance, it's seclusion. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. That's what it is. I gotta, I gotta go inward. I have to go inward before I can go outward. <laughs> Briefly, uh, just for like a day. Right, <laughs> right. That it's 
I, one, thank you for having this conversation with me. And I want to, I, I want to, it, it piques my curiosity. As I want to ask, and if, and if you feel comfortable, I want to ask whether it's physical or emotional, which one of your scars has the best story behind it? The best story. I have a lot to cycle through in my head. Hold on. <laughs> I have a lot, a lot of choices to make. Um, I mean, probably emotionally. I don't have, I'm fortunate not to have too many physical scars. Um, yeah, I'm generally pretty safe. I have had some moments, but I think the most damage I've ever had has been like emotionally. Um, the one that's on my mind the most, I don't know if this is the best story, but the one that's on my mind a lot right now is 10 years ago, I was in a PhD program and I had linked career success and success with school to worth. And I thought, I'm going to get this PhD. I'm just going to go destroy the world with my amazingness and be a professor and like do all these things. And I got to graduate school and like I did good in my classes and I did good with the lab work I had to do, but I struggled in some areas because I had a lot of mental health stuff. I, I was really obsessed with being thin. Um, so this was when I was 22. So I was really obsessed with being thin. And it was like my passion was to just figure out how to be the most thin that I could be. And as I started getting better from that with therapy, that's when I started drinking. And that was all occurring during my first year of this PhD program. Um, yeah, and I, yeah, there was just a lot. I met my husband that year too, and we had like a, like a little dramatic relationship in the beginning. And then it just like took off and it was like all this passion and love and like stuff really fast. So there was a lot going on outside of this PhD program. And at the end of the year, they decided to take my funding away and to other students. So they, when you're a PhD program, sorry, when you're a PhD student in the sciences, you get paid to go to school because you're not just going to classes, you're also doing lab work. So it's like a full-time job or more really. So you get paid. So we were all making 30,000 a year um, and not paying tuition. So they anticipated six first year students, but they actually had nine show up. So they were out like $90,000 that year. So that's why they took away three TAs, um, three people's funding for the second year. And I was one of those people. And eventually like I decided, you know, I don't wanna be here anymore. This isn't, like I'm sick of the politics of this department. I'm sick of the threats, like taking away my um, funding, whatever. And when I left the school, the chair of my department 
said, he looked me in my face and he said, nobody has any confidence that you will succeed. And nobody means like all of the professors that I have been looking up to for the past year. None of them think that I am smart or capable. And that just like ruined my life. That was really bad. And then that, I had just started drinking, but I knew already drinking helps with stress. So that's when I started day drinking. So I was like working out twice a day to try to get thin, maximum thin. And then I would drink a bottle of wine for lunch by myself with no food. And it was just like, it was so bad. It was a really bad month of just like blowing up my life. And then like I slowly recovered. Um, but what he said still messes me up today in my career because things push that button really easily. And that's something that I'm working through right now is this like, I call it my stupid belief. Um, this belief that like I'm not very smart and I'm just like waiting for other people to find out. And I had someone at my current job pushing that button a little bit um, in the past like six months and it was hard. That was the first time I was ever triggered to drink in sobriety was because that button was pushed. So I think, you know, this long-winded story where I'm going with it is that I'm trying to learn that my worth has nothing to do with school achievements and like big fancy careers and like all of this stuff. And I'm trying to just see worth in doing what I like to do because it's what I like to do and it helps people. Like even now, like people will get, I don't know, impressed by my job. Oh my God, she's a scientist. And I'm over here like, I'm probably the worst one. Like <laughs> I'm probably the worst one in the whole department where I work. And um, yeah, and, and I just feel like an imposter and all these things. So I'm just trying to learn to disconnect big impressive titles with my worth and that's hard and you might struggle with that too like with podcasting like you want to just like oh I want my podcast to be the best I want everybody to listen to it I want everybody to talk about it I wanted to have this like fancy metric on listen notes and like be on the charts and then you connect like these metrics or the number of listens that you get a week with like how good you are and it all links back to this stupid belief that I'm trying very hard to get rid of, but I don't know if I'll ever get rid of it. But that is that is my big emotional thing, is no one has any confidence that you will succeed. You, you just ripped my fucking chest open. Thank you. <laughs> wow. I felt that. Yeah, it was really hard because it was so blindsiding, you know? Is that a word? Um, it is just, Yeah, it is right now. Thank you. But it hurt so much and that, like you're not expecting that kind of thing from a professor. And that's, I think, 
the most damaging things that have ever happened is like things that have blindsided me, like shocking things that like my tiny little heart can't comprehend. Um, like the other big one that I have is like this girl said to me in high school, I sat down at the table for lunch and like no one ever really wanted to be my friend. Like I had friends off and on, but I was bullied a lot. And I sat down at lunch and I was like, maybe they've been like kind of friendly with me in class. Maybe I can just like sit here and not be alone. And everybody got up from the table and left in unison. And then one girl came back and I was like, oh my God, we're gonna be best friends forever. Like <laughs> she cares. And she sat down and looked at me and she was like, why don't you just go kill yourself already? Everybody hates you. And I was just like, oh. like what? Everybody hates me? So then that's like burned into my brain. So now my brain is like, everybody hates you. Nobody has any confidence that you will succeed over and over and over. And then I'm like searching for proof of the belief. And even though I have proof that neither are true, I can like exclude those, you know? But as soon as something happens, like once every couple years that triggers this belief, I'm like, oh my God, see? like. <laughs> Everybody hates you, see? They're all just lying. Blair doesn't actually like you. She just talks to you all day, every day. <laughs> she doesn't actually like you. So working through these limiting beliefs is really hard. It's so hard because, yeah. And when someone says something, I don't know, you just, you believe it already. So I just accept it whatever they have to say that goes along with either of those two beliefs, I'm just like, okay, yep. Take this into my heart. That is the truth. I knew it already. Wow. And it's, there's no block there. Like you were talking about boundaries. Like there's no block where I even mm -hmm. consider whether or not it's true. It's just like, yep, this has gotta be true. Let me just accept this and feel worse. So I think learning to pause in between, I don't know. I don't know anything. I just know I'm working on it. It's really hard. Yo, keep it coming. I love it because <laughs> you're literally helping someone right now. Like you are literally speaking life into someone right now. You're inspiring me, if not anyone, because it's so true. We all deal with these, you know, limiting beliefs of what somebody else has told us, you know? <clears throat> I think about it all the time with how many, with everything that I've been labeled with in my life. and all the things that people have told me and i'm just like yeah you're right i search for proof that it's true i search and like how do we how do we how do you com combat that you know do you, do you like do you go look at your uh, achievements and you're like oh nope not true or like how do you how do you combat that in the moment i have a lot of uh yeah but so I'll try or like my husband will remind me or Blair will remind me of like all the good things and I'll be like, yeah, but, <laughs> and then I'll just go along with the bad stuff. Um, I don't know how I deal with it yet. It's really, really hard. And I don't, I don't know. I, I disconnect and I play video games. <laughs> um, I talk, I talk to you guys. Um, 
I also do some, I try to protect myself, I think, from these beliefs being true. So like, since my belief is that I'm stupid and a failure professionally, if I don't put my best self out there professionally, then you can't get me as much, you know? And like with this belief that everybody hates you, if you don't put yourself out there um, friendship-wise, except on Instagram, then this belief can't get you. So like I, I subconsciously protect myself um, as much as I can. Like the ones that get me the most, like I said, are, are blindsiding. There's that word again. Um, but yeah. Trademarked at this point. It's a word now. It is. I'm sure it is. It's like um Absolutely. Did you do you watch The Bachelor? No. no. Oh. Well it's it's not good, but that's another that's another way. I disconnect, I watch the stupid bachelor and like get all that drama and that helps me. But they make up some really weird words on there. Like disingenuous. I was sure was not a word. And then I looked it up one day because they say weird things. They say like conversate, like disingenuous, like I'm forgetting the other ones, but there are a few made up words that they all say on The Bachelor. And I'm just like, that's not a word. And then I looked up disingenuous and I was like, wow, they really got one. That was one and I didn't. (laughs) So I'm sure blindsiding is also a word. Absolutely. I, I, I think it is with being blindsided, there's blindsiding that um, I I believe it. I I don't care if it's not true or not. It's in my heart now. There it is. Every time I say it, I'm gonna thank, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, that, that all expression of that truth right there was just extremely beautiful. Um, first and foremost, thank you, and two what i've what i've used to help me with those put those down is to literally put them on paper look at them read them tear them out throw them away and um my 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 therapist told me to replace it with the truth that i know to be true and um that helps that helps but i don't feel like writing every single day so (laughs) so it is um it's difficult is that definitely difficult um so as as we're as we're wrapping up i i love to ask um if you think of yourself in the future no matter how far from now whether that's six months tomorrow five years or ten years um one who is future jill and two what message does future Jill have for us right here, right now? So future Jill, hopefully, um, is working as a therapist at a treatment center or, or both and or um, an author of an extremely popular <laughs> quitlet book. Um, and hopefully she has learned to put up some walls with herself between these beliefs and just accepting them as fact. But I think something that I noticed from the transition 
from drinking into sobriety that I think will just grow more and more as I age is that I, I don't have time to care so deeply about stupid stuff. When I was in my 20s and drinking, I cared so much about how everybody might feel about me, what everybody might think, like I was always worrying about stuff. And then now I'm just like, I don't have time. It's not even whether I care or not, I just don't have time. And I hope that that trend continues and 40 year old Jill just doesn't have time to worry about whether or not people think she's stupid or whether or not people pretend to like her but actually don't. Like, I hope that just grows as I age and become more mature and learn more about myself and with more therapy and whatever, but hopefully that's where she is. And she's telling us all, nobody cares. You're the only one. It's like with drinking when you go to your first social thing and you're like, everybody's gonna like wonder why I'm not drinking or everyone's gonna ask about it. Or like if you're, if you don't go to an event because you don't want to be around the alcohol, you're like, oh my God, everybody's gonna be like so upset that no, they don't care. They really don't. Like no one's gonna care that you didn't go. Sorry. <laughs> um, people might ask once like, oh, you're not drinking anymore. They really don't care either. Like nobody cares. That's my message. And I still think people care. I think people go home and they're like, damn, Jill is so dumb. I do not like her at all. <laughs> she is the worst. She is so bad at her job. <laughs> She's such a bad friend. And they just sit there all night and they think about it. Like that's how my boss spends his weekends thinking about how bad I am at my job and how not smart I am and how regretful he is for hiring me. <laughs> And 40-year-old Jill is there being like, like, stop that. Like he, as soon as he saw you for the last time, he never thought about you ever again. So that is the message. Liter literally no one cares, just you. You're the only one that cares. And I can add one. I'll add one more. Shame. <laughs> All the shameful memories that I have about my drinking. Nobody thinks about those. Just me. I'm the only one who lies awake in the middle of the night and thinks about this that one time that I did something really embarrassing when I was drunk. Nobody's thinking about that. Actually, nobody cares. I'm the only one keeping it alive. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> can, can that be the title of your book? No one, no one cares issue <laughs> literally literally nobody cares <laughs> yo in all I caps I... it's true it's just us <laughs> wow um thank you thank you fu fully received thank you fully received uh when don't forget it. <laughs> no one cares. I'm going to go put this podcast up so nobody can care about it. <laughs> yep. Uh. No, it's different with that. They care about, 
Well, it's different. They care about the podcast, but they might not care about you or me. And that is something that I've worked on as a podcaster. I'm like, everybody cares about me. They love me. They want to know everything about my day to day. No, they don't. Some people really don't care about me. They just like my podcast. And the, um, if I want to do like a life update, they might never listen to it because they just don't care. Absolutely. You know, I, I opened season two with my pivotal moment and my friend, his pivotal moment gets more views than mine. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> my show (laughs) yep no that that's no that's that's the hard truth that's truth bomb boom and that's what it is and that's what i say you hold a special place in my heart because you let me know that off the (laughs) get-go and i love that saving you time (laughs) right it's saving me suffering right i would have been i would have been in the fetal position by now i would have Oh, please, please, Jill. Um, tell us where we can find you, how we can connect with you, what you got going on, what you got coming up. Please, all the plugs. So, um, if you search Sober Powered, you'll find me all over the place. It's my podcast, YouTube, website, Instagram. I have a private Facebook group that anyone's welcome to join, also called Sober Powered. So, search that and you will definitely find me. I'm all over. And I'm speaking at podcasting conferences. If you're a podcaster and you want to yes. learn, you want to learn about how no one cares about that your new episode is out. <laughs> I cannot wait to go to that motivational speech. <laughs> yep, I actually made a meme. I gotta share it with you. I made it, so I'm like really keeping it secret. But I made a meme that's really funny. Because everyone cares. No, yeah, it, that's what it's about. It's about how podcasters expect everyone to care that a new episode is out, but nobody does. And we still tell everybody. Yep, we still do. We still make the post. New episode is out. And we send it to our email list.